Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beach is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. Welcome Off the Bench. We got a big show lined up for you. Yeah. A lot of stuff we got to get to. Uh, LeBron James returning to Cleveland. Start there because... I don't think this is that big a deal. Like, I'm more interested Christmas, I think he plays the Warriors, and some other games, and I'm much more compelled in seeing him. I get the storyline. It's where he played. He brought the championship there. But to me, they're so bad. It's, rid- it's, it's like, well, what, what's compelling about this game other than the intros? He might as well be playing like the, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the D-League affiliate, the Canton Charge. <laughs> right. Like, that's what they look like now. But, no, I think it's more about how the city is going to receive LeBron coming back after, obviously, the first time he left when he came back. There was yeah. a... You know, there was a lot of hate thrown his way, but I just, that's the only thing that interests me about the story is like, what will the city do? How will he be? His, he hasn't really ever been good when he goes back. Like when he went back to Miami, I don't know, the first eight or nine times, he struggled. Um, he finally got his first win when he was with the Lakers. Like he didn't even win with the Cavs back in Miami. So that's an issue for him. And that's the only thing that's of interest to me about this story. Cause I mean, they're going to cheer. He brought him the title. Like, and, I, and the, the, the narrative the last time he came back was very negative. Like the, before, after he went, when, when he was with the Heat, like they hated him then because he had the he had the decision yeah, and yeah, all that. That was now different. they love him because he came back. So there's not going to be any animosity. Do you think there'll be a faction of people that will boo or anything? I think they'll all. Uh, no, I think he should be celebrated and and like the fans and the organization, right? So that's going to be interesting for me too. See right. how the organization and Kobe Altman and Dan Gilbert and all of those people handle it. They said all the right things through the media when he left, right? But is there a level of like? Uh, of disappointment and, and venom there. Do you give him a video tribute? I mean, you had the teams like Boston Celtics giving Isaiah Thomas video tributes. Do you right. roll one out for LeBron? It's the only time he's coming to town this year. They will. I think they will. And as much as Dan Gilbert probably doesn't want to, right. I think he's a smart enough businessman to realize, hey, for the, you know, just for the franchise, do the right thing for the people. If I want these people to continue buying tickets, I'm going to show LeBron some love. Even though he might deep down inside, I bet he, there's, he doesn't want any part of that. Right. I think they will. He'll try to put the, the, the forward, you know, facing, uh, motto for the team will be welcome back LeBron. Well, behind closed doors, they're like, man, he left us a mess. He left us a mess. Well, <laughs> Wait, he, yeah, you know, that, but anyway, that's a bigger that. conversation. Well, let's but. get to that because it is a complete mess now. So now you've got J.R. Smith leaving the Cavs as him and, uh, the Cavs have mutually agreed to leave the team as both sides work to facilitate a trade. Uh, they've been at the odds all season long. Kobe Altman, your guy, uh, previously discussed Smith leaving the team and Smith chose to remain. It's finally reached this point where J.R. Smith basically with the athletic accused the Cavs of tanking, which I think if you're the Cavs, you're, you are tanking. Correct. Like you do want to rebuild. You can't compete with a team. Kevin Love is out. Like that was going to be their franchise player since he's been hurt. Like it's right. a disaster. They do not have the talent to compete. So why not tank? So this is, let me, J.R is an interesting person. He's been a very good version of himself in Cleveland for the most part. When we got him from New York in the trade for Iman Shumpert, because I was there when the trade went down. The trade was for Iman Shumpert, and the Knicks were like, you've got to take J.R. Smith. And I was one of the people in our office, and I said it to Dan Gilbert on a phone call, I think the prize in this for us is going to be J.R. Smith, and we're lucky to get him on, right? Like, that's the way I felt about it. But they wanted you to take J.R. because they didn't want him in New York anymore. And so our pitch to him as a front office was like, you, there are no strikes here. Like, you come in, and if you're not this best version of yourself, 
we're going to keep you moving. Like, cause we couldn't afford that at the time, you know? So JR has been great, but you always knew as that front office that JR could go off the reservation, right? And while things were great and you had LeBron and there was enough of a strong culture in place, JR was going to be on the reservation. And now he's not. Here's my question for Kobe Altman and Dan Gilbert and all of those guys. What is, what is wrong with what he said? Is it purely just what he said, or is there this laundry list of stuff that's been happening with JR behind the scenes? And if there's that, then I'll say, okay, yeah, man, like, obviously tell him to stay home or whatever. But if this is just because he came out, said you guys aren't trying to win games and tank, what did he say that everybody didn't know? Right. Everybody and sees if, what you're doing. And if that is, cause he's 33 years old, he's getting up there, he's been on championship teams, he doesn't want to be in a team that's going to be the worst in the NBA this year. So right. I actually get his point. And, if you're the Cavs, you're probably thinking this is great. Let's get rid of them so we can be even worse. Yeah, totally. Like, why wouldn't this? Why would there be any dissension here? Why would there be any problem with this one? Uh, Debo just sent me this message saying that the new draft lottery system this year is uh, designed for the teams that are tanking. The worst three teams have even odds to get the top pick. It used to be weighted differently, so that's an interesting dynamic that'll be in play. So the and the other thing in play is that if the Cavs don't get a top ten pick, I believe it is this year, uh, their pick going forward would go to Atlanta for a certain amount of time. Um, which was part of the Kyle Corver deal. So, like, it's imperative that they get a top 10 pick this year. And I understand it. I support it. Like, you don't want to be one of those middle of the, like, middle of the road, eight, nine, ten seeds that don't get, you know, the guy in the draft. Like, you want the best chance to get the guy. So I've got no problem with what Cleveland's doing. And in the meantime, developing your young talent. Just don't get pissed when a player comes out and says it. All right, let me ask you something. Because I hate when this conversation is had, but I do think it's legitimate. So yeah. we saw, we're talking about this Cavs team, how bad they are. Let's look at Duke. Because Duke played last night. They got tested by Auburn. But they're, they have all these guys. They got Reddish, Cam Reddish. They got R.J. Barrett. They got Zion Williamson. Top Three of the top five players coming out of last year's class. Do you think, realistically, like now that the Cavs are without Kevin Love, without um, J.R. Smith. Smith, do you think Duke can give them a run and who, beat them? Who are they playing? Who are they playing? Who are the Cavs rolling out? You got their lineup up? You got I'll find it. Colin Sexton, who may not start at Duke. <laughs> well, that's the that's, – um, that's, So if they're, if they're young enough, if they're young enough, the Cavs, then – the answer could be yes. But if they're rolling out five- and six-year pros that are solid pros, the answer is going to be no. So, I mean, without knowing exactly who the Cavs have in their starting lineup. So you're giving it more from, You're giving it more of a, a legitimate chance here. Look, if they, Jordan Clark, uh, Clarkson, Tristan Thompson, George Hill, Larry Nance. No, they're not going to beat them. They're not going to beat no. them. Rodney Hood. No. Nope. Uh, so they're not. So the, those guys, those are solid pros. Like, yeah. Jordan Clarkson's a good pro. Rodney Hood, a good pro. Like, Larry Nance, a solid pro. Tristan Thompson, a solid pro. These guys aren't all-stars, but these guys are solid rotation guys wherever they've been. You're not rolling in a bunch of 17-year-olds and beating them, no. I think it is interesting that we even hesitated for a minute, though. I think that speaks to a couple things. One, how good this Duke team is, and also how bad this Cavs team is. Totally. But I do think, because it always annoys me. I cannot stand. I think it's like when shows are bored and they have nothing else to do, they bring up that topic, and they're like, hey, could Bama beat the Raiders, or could they beat the worst team in the NFL? And they come up with these fake lines, which are really dumb, and they try to, all right, go at it. I think in football it's ridiculous because there are so many players out there, 11 on defense, 11 on offense, right? harder to match those but i think in basketball if you have three dominant players the way duke does i think it makes it a little bit more interesting but i would leave with you these are professional athletes who are just bigger they're more mature and they they're more familiar with the game itself correct now if you were telling me like in a year i don't like forgive me but let's say sacramento a couple years ago was rolling out willie coley stein buddy healed was like second year player mm-hmm. um what's the kid's name from kentucky like you have let's say you've got four kids that are in their first year yeah 
or going in, yeah, in a scenario like, like what that. What about the Suns the last couple of years? Because they were rolling out the youngest team. In maybe, the but Devin Booker, right. no one can guard Devin Booker. Like, <laughs> right. Devin Booker's a star. So you put a star in the mix and the answer is no. But if you get a bunch of young, young kids that could potentially still be in, in college, like in their sophomore year, and none of them are superstars, maybe? One day I wish we could actually have this happen. Because you know they used to do, like in the 70s, they used to have an all-star college yeah. football team play against a team of Did they really? football players. Yeah, they used to do I it. I didn't know they that. Like it was on TV. Yeah. I would love to see it. Like we're seeing more things that we never thought we would see on TV. Like this, you know, the Tiger versus Phil, mm-hmm. like this matchup. You saw the Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather. They're different sports, and yet they went at it because the payday was simply big enough. Right. I'd love to see something put together where they're like, all right, let's let them do it. Like if right after the season no when they're already pro. pro. Exactly. No That's why they won't do it well there is they get embarrassed and that's not a good situation for them uh so the washington wizards maybe maybe they should be tanking too because their mess which we talked about yesterday uh with bradley beal and john wall just you know just going at it this is a complete mess so they were uh trailing at the half at home against the clippers 24 point deficit it was ugly fans were booing them at halftime they come roaring back and actually came all the way, uh, way back to win. Second largest comeback in the NBA this season. Right. I think it shows like as much dissension as there is on a team that you can still overcome that because talent just overcomes usually most of the time. Yeah. And they were in you a can separate, like I think professional athletes more than most can compartmentalize issues and go out there and they might hate the dude next to them, but they can say, all right, we're going to win this game. But this team was not compartmentalizing very no, well. well not, you, not, not off the court, clearly no, in practice in other places. Even in this game, they were allowing so many wide open, inexcusable layups. Like in an NBA game, you knew something was wrong. Like it was one of those where you could see, even without knowing the backstory, that there was a funk on that team in the first half. And then in the second half, um, they figured it out. I don't know what it was, but you know how this goes sometimes. You you can go into a gym, Danny. Like, let's say you go to YMCA or whatever, wherever you're going to hoop. You don't feel great, right? You're just a little lethargic. Things don't feel good. And then you have a moment where something sparks. Uh, and then, like, a competitive ember in you gets, like, lit. And before you know it, like, you're rolling. Right. And now the juices are flowing. And something happened to them in the, in the at halftime. I don't know if it was a speech or, a, you know, whatever it was. But you saw that team click back into let's play some basketball together. And the, the sad part about this whole story is they're a talented group. Yeah. Like they have some high end talent in John Wall and Bradley Beal and Otto Porter and, you know, these are Kelly Oubre. Like th- these are some names of guys that are, they're on the higher end of the NBA talent pool. And so it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing to, to watch, uh, kind of falling apart. So if you had any hopes for the Wizards, like, Hey, getting this win, maybe it's water under the bridge. Everybody's moving forward. Markeith Morris was asked, uh, if it was nice getting the win, considering everything that's happened over the last day, his quote, not really. It's bleeped up. What's going on? The comments that's coming from the locker room is bleeped up. That don't happen in sports. Uh, so yeah. What well, happens? In, it happens in like dysfunctional sports locker room. Yes, that's exactly. that's what you're in right now. Right. Yeah. Which I think you have to uh, state the obvious, and I think that's what he did, and I think that's why you're going to see it broken up. So those guys will be moving on. All right, we got to do some college football. Barton Simmons is going to join us. His reaction to college football playoff uh, rankings, which were released, I think it was really boring, but there were some nuggets you could take away from it. Okay. We're going to break it down with him. That's coming up next on Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Let's get to our guy, Barton Simmons. He's going to join us to help us break down the uh, latest college football rankings release. Not exactly the most exciting out there. <laughs> uh, Barton is the host of the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. Make sure you go check that out. So, Barton, it feels like... Like every, like it used to be, I don't know, I say it used to be, it's only been out there four or five years, but I feel like the rankings release show has lacked so much drama because we haven't seen it. There's, was there anything that you found compelling last night that you were like, Oh, I didn't see that coming? 
I don't know about not seeing it coming, but I, I think it was compelling. At least the UCF jumped Ohio State. I mean, I felt like they should have. Um, and, and Danny, I know you've been sort of on the, the UCF train here leading the charge, but I, I'm actually not somebody that thinks that, you know, all needs to be fair and they deserve a chance. And look, I think if you're signed up to play a group of five football, you know what you're signing up for and, and you don't always get a chance to play in the playoffs if you went out. But that said, I do think that this could be the first year where there is a, a conceivable way that UCF gets in now that they've jumped Ohio State. I, I think, look, Washington State could lose. Oklahoma could lose. Those are very realistic scenarios. And Michigan could lose. So then you're left with uh, UCF above Ohio State. I still think if Ohio State beats Michigan, then the committee probably goes and decides, well, now we think Ohio State's better than UCF. But I, I think that there's a at least a scenario there that you could entertain to say, look, UCF looks better than Ohio State. They've, they've been average all year long. Let's go ahead and give them the undefeated team a chance. And also there's the scenario that Ohio State could beat Michigan and go lose to Northwestern. I think that that's a very realistic possibility as well. So your boys down there in Orlando, I think at least have a shot now having jumped Ohio State in the top 10. See, don't do it, Barton. Don't tease their fan base. Cause this is where I actually, this is where I've come full circle. Like I think they're incredible. I think they're, what they're doing is awesome, but they're not even in my top four. And I don't think they ever would be unless you saw absolute mayhem. My thing for UCF is I want to use them to promote the need for an 18 playoff. Like that's why I try to pump them up and say, Hey, this is why we need eight. So we don't have to leave them out to the party. But I think you said something interesting about Ohio State. Let's assume UCF loses. Like let's just take them out of the picture completely. Ohio State is at 10. Do you think that if they went out, they control their own destiny? Because they'd have to leap a lot of other teams. Oklahoma's sitting up there. Washington State is up there. Do you think they would leapfrog those two teams? Or do you think they would be on the outside looking in, considering where they are now and how they've looked, especially on defense, the last few times out? I, don't, I still don't think Ohio State controls its own destiny. And, and I, I think it kind of hurts them that a, a better candidate hasn't emerged out of the Big Ten West because now it's just a rivalry game. If they sneak by Michigan, then they go and, and they're not, we're not going to gain much from a win over Northwestern. Whereas for Oklahoma, we're going to be looking at Oklahoma through the lens of a win against West Virginia and a win against Texas, two top, what, 14 teams according to the playoff committee. Uh, Washington State even, while they have, they won't have necessarily the same kind of resume wins, uh, with, with the next two weeks as, as, um, the opportunity at Oklahoma, we're still going to see them with a better resume over the course of the year. In terms of what they've done, they haven't had the kind of letdowns Ohio State's had. I think that there's going to be kind of a foul taste in the committee's mouth, and there is for me, and just sort of watching them struggle with Maryland, struggle with Nebraska, and they still have a 30-point loss to a team that might not go to a bowl. And I think that that's always going to be held against you. So unless we get some some more two-loss teams in the equation here, I still have a hard time seeing Ohio State control its own fate, control its own destiny. Um, I do think, though, and, and this is something I've been talking about on our podcast, is um, we're all guilty of looking at Ohio State in the present tense. Whereas if Ohio State beats Michigan, that will really change everyone's perspective on who that team is. And so I'm, I'm open to that. I'm open to considering Ohio State can get in if they beat Michigan, but I think it's unlikely given what opportunities await Oklahoma. Uh, you touched on the two lost teams, and so I'm looking at the top ten, and LSU is still sitting there. Wait, is this just basically 
boils down to SEC bias? Like, what's the deal with them still being there? And Kentucky, like, are we serious with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and hey, throw Florida in there. I mean, I don't know. They're, was it in Florida the top three lost team? Um, there's some others that, that I like better than those. I mean, uh, I, I throw even Washington and Utah up. I feel like they've, they've been more impressive over the course of the season. Um, and, and I, I kind of agree with you there on LSU as well. I think, uh, in fact, this weekend perhaps is a chance for LSU either to validate that ranking or, or slip down to where I feel like probably they're, they're more deserving to be. I mean, I really think Texas A&M could go ahead and win that game in Kyle Field. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, that was an area where I was a little bit like, I don't know how much I should care. Uh, but 11 through 17, all those three lost teams, I, I really did feel like, why are we got Kentucky up there, given what they've done the last three weeks? Why do we have Florida up there? You know, they're, what, two weeks, three weeks removed from getting just housed by Missouri. I mean, there's some other good three lost teams. And there's a two lost team in West Virginia that, that should be above all those. And so, or, or all, all those, those other three lost teams that, that slip below them. So I do think that there's a little bit of, uh, I think the committee showcased that, yes, they do value the SEC. They do think these guys are, this is the best conference. I'm not ready to go there with like SEC bias because I think generally the SEC is the best conference. But this year, I think it's getting a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than probably it deserves. When you look at Washington State, because I think, I think what's going to hold them down is their non-conference schedule. It's really light. It's Wyoming, it's Eastern Washington, and San Jose State. Like That's not impressive. But when you watch them play – if they end up winning the Pac-12, which would include a win against Washington in the Apple Cup this weekend in a Pac-12 championship game, which would be a weaker title game, but still, they would have to win the conference. Do you think they should be considered in that top four? Do you think they'll, do you think they'll get into that conversation? Or do you think it'll be one of those years where you just look at it and say, hey, their, their, their body of work, the resume isn't that strong? I just, well, I mean, I don't think they're going to jump Michigan. And, yeah. and, and if Michigan wins out, I don't think they jump them. If Oklahoma wins out, I don't think they jump Oklahoma. Um, because Oklahoma still like, and, and everyone, my argument with Oklahoma has been everyone sort of talks about how bad their defense is, but there's, there's a lot of years and you can even, you can even direct this towards Michigan a little bit this year as we talk about these teams that have these great defenses and they beat teams 24 to three. And, and it's just sort of the showcase for the defense, but the offense isn't great. And we give these teams the benefit of the doubt. Well, Oklahoma's, they're pretty comfortable going out and winning these shootouts. They're averaging 8.8 yards per play offensively. That's one of the most historic numbers you're going to see. So I'm okay with Oklahoma winning these shootouts as long as they keep on running up nine yards per play every game on offense. So with that, I kind of still continue to slide Oklahoma above Washington State. I think Washington State has surprised a lot of people, primarily me, and they've been awesome this year. Gardner Minshew has been a stud. And yet, I'm not ready to see them jump either of the other two one-loss teams above them, assuming everybody wins out. If those teams lose, then sure. I think we need to start really talking about Washington State in the, in the top four. Uh, you just mentioned Gardner Minshew. Uh, let me, him, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, all kind of dark horses. Do any of them have a chance in the Heisman or is this Tua's just to, to, to make a speech up and, and be ready to accept? Yeah, I, I think Kyler's got a chance. I mean, I don't know whether people are going to vote for him. Maybe these guys have already got their brackets filled out or their, their, their ballots filled out and sent in. Uh, but if they're not paying attention to what Kyler Murray's doing this year, I, I think they're, they're, 
they're doing an injustice to the process because Kyler Murray has been awesome. And, and granted, he's, he's had to be awesome. You know, Tua hasn't played in the second half in a lot of games. And, and throughout most of Tua's season this year, it's hard to envision what a better version of the Alabama quarterback could look like. I mean, yes, he's, he's, he's throwing to wide open receivers in a lot of cases. And yes, they're playing, there's, there's so much better than everyone they play, but two is the reason. I mean, he really is the reason that this Alabama team is being talked about with this sort of historic tone. So I, I respect everything two has done, but I really am, I'm ready to make this a two man race. I am ready to talk about Kyler Murray as a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender. And I, and I think if someone's going to go and vote for Kyler Murray, I, I'm ready to defend that. I mean, this, the numbers are right there. It's it's remarkable what he's doing. And to think that we, we were just raving about this Oklahoma offense and Baker Mayfield and the genius of Lincoln Riley. And, and I mean, that was the, the, the talk of college football last year. And the guy goes number one in the NFL draft and, and Lincoln Riley is, is, you know, being talked about for NFL jobs. And to think now that this offense is even better now that Kyler Murray has taken over, I just think it's it's crazy that it's being overlooked to the extent that it is. So I am ready to really start digging in here and saying this is a two-team, a two-man race. And if you're going to vote for Kyler, I got no issues with that. If you're going to vote for Tua, no issues with that. But I hope this is close because I think it deserves to be close. I think so too. I, we talked a lot about a lot of this on the last few weeks of the podcast when we talked about or um, about Tua Tagovailoa's chances for the Heisman. I think what's going to hurt him is the Heisman moment because he's got the stats. He plays on a championship level team. Uh, you know, if they're going to they're going to be contending for the playoff, but he, because they've been so dominant, I think that hurts him. Where most people flip off the TV after halftime. And you're like, all right. I mean, his biggest Heisman moment might have come in the third quarter against Citadel when he needed to make a big throw, and he did. But that's not something that people were dialed into. So I think, and I don't know if it's going to come because Auburn, they're four, you know, almost a four touchdown favorite against Auburn. I think he needs to have a close game almost and against Georgia so he could put up some big numbers there. But I'm with you. I think it definitely deserves to be in that. Uh, he deserves to be a two man race for sure. When you look at Notre Dame, are you? So, like, are you putting them in Sharpie in that Final Four bracket because of the game against USC and because of their resume? Because I'm ready to put them in. I think they're a lock. Danny, th- this is going to be a bloodbath, man. Like, I, I really think Notre Dame is going to go and absolutely spank this USC team. And, and part of the reason that, that I'm, I'm, I'm really confident, I mean, not only is USC just not a good team this year, I mean, their record is representative of what they are. It, it isn't like a deceiving five and six or whatever they are here. It, it and, and meanwhile, Notre Dame, I think, has has sort of emerged into a team where they're not a deceiving 11-0. and 0. I mean, that is representative of who they are as well. But even beyond that, um, look, I, I was hung out at Notre Dame in the summer for a, a couple of days. And one of the things that, that sort of was presented to me and kind of what they were talking about is how, how, how the strength and development program, strength and conditioning has really changed. Uh, along with those two coordinator hires they made a couple of years ago, they changed the strength and conditioning coach too. And that was what they saw last year. So they really beat up USC physically. And I think that that's going to be the case this year. I mean, USC is going to go in there and they have talent. they got a bunch of NFL guys, but they're going to beat up USC. And I don't care if USC has a good day and Notre Dame has an off day, but when you're physically more, just more capable, uh, stronger, uh, faster, and you're just, and you're a team that's going to play well in the second half, third and fourth quarters, you can overcome any kind of a letdown. So I, I think that Notre Dame's going to go in there 
with everything to, to gain here. I mean, they're, they've got a playoff berth on the line. They're going to be focused. And I think they're going to go in there and, and really smack USC around. And I think that could be the nail in the Clay Helton coffin. I just don't see him having the kind of day that's going to save his job against Notre Dame. Yep, I'm with you. We've been saying it all year. Hey, college football, you see crazy upsets, but I don't see that one happening either. Barton, thanks for joining us, man. Make sure you check him out on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. Check out his podcast, the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. We'll be right back. We're going to break down my top 10. There's a team that I refuse to bump out of my top 10. You can try to guess who. Find out next and Off the Bench. All right, welcome back. Off the Bench. Let's do it. Canel's Terrible 10. Remember that? No, top 10 Uh NFL teams. Number one. You saw them the other night on full display. Monday Night Football. Rams playing at home. 55 to 51, 54, 51 win yeah. over the Chiefs. That was impressive. They're my number one team. Saints, number two. Okay. Steelers, three. Chiefs, four. Patriots, five. Bears, Texans, Chargers, Panthers. And pulling in the rear there with five, four, and one. Minnesota Vikings. So ridiculous. That's so ridiculous on so many levels. Let me start with the, let me start with the Chiefs. Okay. You dropped them all the way to number four. I did. So there's not a part of you that left the game the other night thinking that they were the better team? I thought their offense was awesome. I thought it was fun to watch, but I think they're more vulnerable on the defensive side of the ball than we get, than we want to put them. So that's why I have them right. for the Chiefs. Let me I think flip. their defense is so bad. Their offense is awesome, but their defense is horrendous. Let me flip the question. Okay. The Rams go to Arrowhead. Yep. They have five turnovers. Two of which produced defensive points for the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you think they're even in the ball game down the stretch? Maybe because they have a similar type offense. They can put up points, but I, it's probably not. They'll probably lose that game by so, 10 points. So, well, that was, so my beef was that the Chiefs went all the way down to fourth after that because I really, I, honest to God, I left that game feeling like, yeah, the Rams beat them, but I wasn't ready to say the Rams were better. But for the rankings, like, I understand, but four for me below the Steelers, like, eh. all right. And the Chiefs have the worst defense in the NFL. They're I don't care. And total I don't defense. care. <laughs> I don't care. No, I, they scored seventy-two points. Here's the thing: like they, I think Patrick Mahomes had his worst game as a Chief, and he still had six touchdown passes, and, he, and they had 450 yards, and had a chance to win the game at the correct. end. Correct. Not an even touch on like you were supposed to go to Mexico City, like your travel plans right. were made for that. Then they jack you around, and you got to go to Los Angeles. There were a lot of like that team sleptwalked through a whole quarter of football. Yes, they did. Anyway, um, the Vikings, dude. I can't, I can't keep letting you. I can't. All right. So here's my thing with the Vikings. You got, once you get down to the top, like the, the bottom, like once you get past the top eight, there is a, why not the Cowboys? Bunch of teams. Because the Cowboys suck. What do you mean they, what what are their records? What are their records? You threw some stats at me. What are their records? If you watched them play though, what are their records? Prescott and these guys. What are their records? Their records are, they're probably similar. Actually, the Vikings are slightly better, I think, because of the tie. Are they? That they have. The Cowboys are five and five. Yep. The Minnesota Vikings are five and four. Five and four. And one. Okay. But, but they do. They have, but their losses are better. And it's kind of funny because we talk about that in college. Which football, team's like hotter? Good, loss, good losses. Oh, clearly the Cowboys, but who you trust over the long haul? I don't like, know. I, I don't know. Are you supposed to trust Kirk so Cousins? They had one really ugly loss. That was the Bills. Like yeah. that was the one that everybody just looked at and like, how the heck does that happen? Maybe they're not that good. That's a bad loss. There's no excusing that one. Nope. They went toe to toe with the Rams in LA, lost by one touchdown back and forth in that game. Kirk Cousins played awesome. They lost to the Saints, one of the best. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. Like I don't think there's any shame in that. They were still in the ball game, and then they lost on the road in prime time against the Chicago Bears. Listen to the rest (laughs) of what you're talking about. They might have the best. I'm listening to you talking out of the blue. Kirk Cousins played awesome. No, he didn't play awesome. He played pretty good. (laughs) Kirk Cousins is still doing what he does every single year. The Vikings have to get better. 
Uh, clearly, they have to get better around the ball. Uh, other than Kirk Cousins, they have to give him the help he needs. But, I mean, like, who else would you want to put in there in that spot? There are a bunch I mean, of teams I don't know. that are there that you're I, like, You know what? I would want you to have a little self-awareness. Holy cow. Know that you're gonna get... still completing 70% of his passes. I didn't even know that. Like, See. that's incredible what he's doing. Seahawks at 5-5. Five and five. I mean, I, I, I don't trust them at all. Oh, They've dude. been bad this year. I trust Russell Wilson more than I trust Cowboys. Oh, right. The Cowboys are garbage. See? That's the thing about the NFL. And I think this is actually a really good thing. That you could plug in a lot of teams at that 10 spot. And you could make a really strong argument. Form. There is a ton of parity across the NFL. You have your bell bottoms that we do all the time. Yeah. There are, there are a few select teams that are awful. Yep. And even them, they're still statistically still alive to make the postseason. That's crazy. But there are so many teams that are just kind of like bleh. And I, I would put the, the Vikings in that category, but I'll put them at the top of the bleh yeah, category. They're at the very like, top of the, the bleh. Because they have my guy. For you. The Rams I have number one over the Saints. Yeah. Because I know some people are probably thinking, well, hey, the Saints beat them at home not that long ago. It was a few weeks ago. I, st- I still think the Rams have the defense that can work against these prolific offenses because you're not going to get shutouts. You're just not. Right. You, you cannot slow down these teams. And I think they have enough playmakers, specifically Aaron Donald, who can go out there and can influence a game from the defensive side of the ball. Force two fumbles. They also had a couple scores. They had a ton of turnovers in that game. And that, yeah, Patrick Mahomes played bad, but those were also forced turnovers. Where he actually, where they actually, you know, produce some points, which I think is what you need to do now. Right. Uh, except it didn't happen against the Saints. I mean, it did, but, oh, it did happen against the Chiefs, but it but didn't happen against when the Saints. When I left that game thinking, what I left thinking was, if they play in LA, I might pick the Rams in that game, or the Rams might get the better of them in LA. Now, neutral site, uh, or what really could matter is, do they, do they end up getting home field? Because right now, it's the Saints have the advantage because they have that win against Right. Them. Which I think, if that was the situation, if these teams were scared off again in the NFC Championship game and it was in New Orleans, I would probably pick the Saints because it's there. I think that home field will mean that much. But right now, as it stands, I think the Rams are more impressive on the defensive side of the ball than the Saints. I don't know why I feel like this, but I feel like the Rams, Saints, and the Chiefs um, are in this bucket of, like, I you just pick them. Yeah. Just pick them. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Just because their offenses are that prolific. And while the Pats and the Steelers – like, I'm down on the Patriots. Like I, I, when I watched those two teams the other night, yeah. I kept thinking, I don't, I, I think the Steelers could go toe to toe in a shootout. Right. I think, uh, you could have this, uh, the Saints could go toe to toe with either one of those two teams. But when I look at the Patriots, I was like, mm. I don't see them with the offensive firepower to go toe to toe. And I don't think their defense is right. enough to get the stops. So as much as I had the Patriots at one in this spot for a lot of the season, I don't think they're there anymore. And I think that's why I have the Steelers so high. Is I've seen them, especially recently. Like I think this Le'Veon Bell putting that situation to bed has helped this team. Sure, they're more focused now. And I also give a lot of credit to teams that can win ugly, and that's what they did this past weekend in Jacksonville. They were down sixteen nothing. They were playing awful, yep. and they just found a way back in the game. And it kind of Big Ben's touchdown run to get them back and put them over the top kind of was a symbol of the entire game because it wasn't pretty. He just like muscled it in there, barely got it across, but they won. And that's what good teams do. They figure out a way to win ugly, which Holy. is what they did. Um, speaking of bad teams, you, you mentioned the Cowboys. Like, hey, would you put them up with the Vikings? <laughs> Maybe so. Because they are a team that we yeah. were we were writing off not Correct. that long time ago. They're playing well. They are playing against the Redskins on Thanksgiving Day, playing against Colt McCoy. The Cowboys at home, again, I'll tell you this. If we look at the box score, you don't have to watch the game. If Zeke Elliott has 100-plus yards and Dak Prescott throws it 25 times, They'll win the game. Right. But the Redskins, that's their job. They will have to force them out of that, which is easier said than done because they've been able, they've been imposing, imposing their will on their opponents. 
for the last several games. I think a lot of this has come down to Colt McCoy. Yeah, what, and how do you feel about that? I feel pretty confident in him. I am not as worried about him. He's been in the system for four years. There was a lot of speculation that Jay Gruden, the head coach of the Redskins, actually was fine moving forward with Colt McCoy and not Kirk Cousins. When Kirk Cousins was there, right. Jay Gruden did not want to give him the long-term deal, and he was like, all right, if he wants to leave, I'll roll with Colt McCoy. Right. And then the Alex Smith deal kind of fell in their lap where they were like, all right, we'll just go to these guys and they'll be fine. I think there won't be that much drop-off with Colt McCoy in their quarterback. Well, yeah. A good backup. And that's a – yeah, the way Alex Smith plays the position where he's kind of, you know, the old uh, – the quote unquote game, game manager, manager yep. like you wouldn't have that much of a drop off for, as you would from a guy who's actually out there like, like you know Ryan Goff or or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, guys that are making plays yeah. for the team, you know. So that that makes a little bit of sense. I still think uh, that Dallas is playing well. I think at home, um, coming off sometimes an injury like that can really, you know, hurt the spirit of a team. Yeah. Whether the guy is capable enough as a backup or not, it could just hurt the the kind of overall spirit and mood, and so I think that's going to have an effect on uh I'm more worried, worried about, because this is the fourth offensive start of the Redskins' loss, obviously the most important position, but right. they lost a couple offensive linemen, they lost one of their wide receivers, now they lose their quarterback. Like, that's what I would be start worried about. Start to feel snake-bitten a little Cole bit. McCoy can run around a little bit. I mean, he's not going to go out there and be Lamar Jackson, but he right. can make some plays outside the pocket, so I think it'll be interesting. I actually... I think the Redskins have a chance here to shock some people and actually get the win. Get the win. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, let's see. I'm What's the spread? Right I think it's three. Is it? I believe. Yeah, I think it's a three-point. Uh, the Cowboys are a three-point. What is it? Seven and Sweet. a half. Holy cow. All right, then I'm taking You're the definitely Redskins taking. points. I'm not taking them to win. <laughs> I don't need to. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them. Uh, I'm going to take them with the points there. All right, let's get socially relevant. Book it now. Redskins plus seven and a half. Do it. So over the weekend, Kevin Durant yelled some inappropriate things towards fans during the Warriors game in Dallas. Y'all remember seeing that, right? Yep. (laughs) This all went down on Saturday, but yesterday we saw the aftermath of Katie's little incident. So the Warriors forward was fined $25,000 by the NBA on Tuesday for cursing at the fans. He has since completely shut down talk of the incident. He He was telling reporters, quote, don't ask me about this. Again, so guys, obviously it's been a little bit of a bumpy week for the Warriors. Katie yelling at fans was just the cherry on top of all of the drama that's already happening. But I have to ask, if camera phones were around when you guys were playing, would there have ever been an incident like this where you guys were caught? Um, yeah. <laughs> I guarantee yeah. you there was. Yeah. Oh, there is, Be honest. There I guarantee you. Um, yeah, there's way too much just, uh, exposure now. There's too, there are too many cameras in your face. But look, you get some, especially in basketball arenas because people are like right Closer. there. You get some really nasty stuff hurled at you, like some really personal, um, nasty stuff. Now, you, you know, the better way to do that is to go over, put your hand over your mouth yeah. and just kind of say it to him instead right. of yelling it for everybody to see. But yeah, they would have caught me on tape. I got no problem with Kevin Durant. I understand why the league has to do what they have to do. Yeah. Like you don't want your, you know, your, your stars out there cursing out fans. But look, we're all human beings, bro. So if you're going to say some wild, reckless stuff to me, you have to be prepared to get some wild, reckless stuff said back to you. I have no problem with the fans. I, I, I have no problem with what he said, but I do think Kevin Durant is quickly becoming really unlikable. He's got really thin skin. Yes. He's a thin skin dude. He's like this fake tough guy. Like you're going to go up there and be tough guy to the fan. Like you know you can't do anything. You know he can't do anything. So that's when you can bow up. He just told him. He just told him shut the – Yeah, but I think that's like an easy opportunity for him to be like, hey, I'm this guy that's going to speak up. And I don't think he does that to anybody on the court. Um, I, I just think, think he's becoming think more he does, and more unlikable. I don't know. See, I this think they're too separate. Long he line. does have thin skin, but I would yes. say the, the same thing for a fan. Like because I'm out here on this court. How about well, this? The fans are punk for sure. After the game, yeah, right. 
like, find me as I'm getting in my car <laughs> yeah. and holler at me now. Like right. the fan would never do that. So like I feel the same way about the fan. I guess as you do. But I think neither one would show up. I think Kevin Durant would be like, get in my car. I think neither one would show up. I think they'd both go their separate ways and be fine with it. <laughs> Raj, I like your point about the fans too. It is funny that we never hear what they're saying. Like we always yeah. hear what the players saying back to them. Obviously the NBA has to do what they have to do, but we could never pick up what those fans are saying. One day. One day, maybe we'll get there. One day. I'm with you. All right. More news from yesterday. So all eyes were on James Wiseman, the seven-footer out of Memphis East High. He entered the day as the number one college basketball prospect in the country. But by the time he made his announcement, the thunder was completely stolen. He decided to stay home, by the way, committing to Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers. But just hours before all of that went down, high school prospect Anthony Edwards stole that top spot when he made the decision to reclassify to the 2019 class immediately launching him to number one. Edwards, by the way, is a 6'5 shooting guard from Atlanta Holy Spirit School. So, so Danny and Raja, do you guys think this was a calculated move or just a coincidence? That's so petty. <laughs> think, you think it's, it's so calculated? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean do I think it's calculated? <laughs> you're, you're the number one kid in the class behind him. The number one kid in the class ahead of you is about to announce his, and you just conveniently, one second before he announces, drop the bomb that you're reclassifying, so you're the number one kid in the class? So this is so petty. So this is the thing nowadays, right? Like guys are, they want to get to college, get the payday, get the one and done and get, yeah. get paid as soon as they can. I'm thinking about reclassing mine down and these right, kids are exactly. going That's up. what I'm always saying. I'm, I'm holding my daughter's back so right. they have more of an advantage when they get older. Yeah. I don't like this. I don't like because they're still kids. Like they, they're in such a hurry to grow up and I get there's a payday waiting there at the end of it, but you're, like, I get it in football or other sports where it's a little more dangerous. Yeah. All, but like injury risk is not that significant. I just like enjoy your youth a little bit more. Yeah. Instead of like trying to just get through it. And like high school well, was some of the best years out there. Like some of the best friendships, the best memories you made. In high school, school and college. College yeah. is fantastic too. But they, uh, the NBA and these leagues are, are like they're incentivizing these kids to come out and do it. They, when I was in the front office, it was incredible to me to have the discussions around draft time about a kid at like Syracuse, let's say. Oh, let's use Rakeem Christmas because he was, we, we wound up picking him in that draft and, you know, I was talking about like him having these great years and the knock on Rakim was he was a senior and every, you know, he was, they were subtracting points from his overall total because of how old he was, right? Because they wanted to see him playing against his peers and now he's playing against freshmen. And so every day that you're on a college campus, the older and older you get, um, your talent gets marginalized more and more, right? So it makes sense that if you are really, really good, to get there as quick as you can and get out as quick as you can before they start subtracting points because you're playing against younger kids. Yep, Marvin Bagley and R.J. Bo- uh, Barrett both reclassified. But I'm all about Anthony Edwards now going out because you know where he's supposed to be going. going? Florida State. Let's uh, go. Get him up to Tallahassee. Let's get him there. Come on out. Let him skip. Let's let him go right now. The Florida State. The number one kid <laughs> in the country picks Florida State? Yeah, of course he is for the education. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. For that's education. why he's going there. Well, <laughs> right, I love Leonard Hamilton. He's my guy. Relevant. And Stan Jones. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canal and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja break down all of the questions surrounding Markel Fultz. Come on back to Off the Bench. All right. Welcome back. Let's do some leftovers to finish it off before we get off for our Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, kid. Uh, I'm fired up. To go. Me too. I'm going to go do a little workout after the show, get some little uh, calories burning. You're not. You're no. just going to start. I'm going to go to Fortnite. Yeah, there you um, go. Kids are home from school, game. right? Kids are home from school. Yeah, Maybe fish a little bit. What is up with this thing? It's off from school on Wednesday? I don't know. The kids nowadays have it so easy. I always had school on Wednesday before yeah. Thanksgiving. I, I'm always. making them work when I get home. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do a basketball workout when I get home. There you home. go. Yeah. I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah. Make there them do a little workout. Grind a little bit on a Yeah. All right. Markel Fultz, the 
drama surrounding he him. He needs a workout. Yes, he needs a workout. He needs a mental coach. He needs yeah. a lot. Uh, his attorney, this is a tweet uh. from David Aldridge yesterday, said at the direction of his attorney, Raymond Brothers, Mark L. Foltz is scheduled to see a shoulder specialist early next week. Per Brothers, Foltz will not participate in team practices or games until after the specialist has had a chance to evaluate him. I think this is a great move because you need to get him off the court because it is bad when he's doing the free throw and he looks awful with the hitch, and then he has the next one where he's bouncing it back and forth so he doesn't have to think about it. It's clearly a mental hurdle. I think this is a great excuse to blame it on an injury, get him out, try to clear his mind. And I just I wonder if it's ever going to get resolved. Um, I don't believe that it's a medical issue. I think it's all between his ears. So I heard reports for someone in our office that there was really an injury that took place on some kind of motor vehicle, like on some kind of like ooh yeah uh, off roadish type of deal, right? Initially, I don't know. This isn't confirmed. This is what I heard. Um, so maybe there was an injury at one point. The, there's no physical injury that now that's making his jump shot look like that. There is something going on in the young man's head, which is of way more concern than if there is really or was ever a shoulder injury. And so, like, I don't know if it's great. I don't know if it's whatever. What I do know is it's really sad because he is a talent, and I've never seen this. This is unprecedented where you get a guy come into the league as the number one pick with all of that talent. It's oozing out of his pores, and he can't get it together upstairs where you're shooting free throws like this. I mean, dude. I'm telling you, I coach, I got a six-year-old that's just learning to play basketball, and he doesn't have those kind of issues. Like, he might not make it, but he's going to step up there and just let it fly. Right. Like, that's really, really sad to watch. It is. It's hard. It's painful to watch. It makes me wonder why the attorney is giving the advice. Like, there's something to maybe some of this off the court or – because it just seems weird. Like, if he could speak up for himself and say, hey, my shoulder's bothering no. me. I need to go see a specialist. I think this all speaks to who he is as a person. I don't know him. But when when you're not handling your own business, like, this is one of those cases of, like, you probably should have done a little bit more research. Like, if you're yeah. Sixers, right? Like, there may, be, there may have needed to have been a deeper dig into everything that makes up this guy, his camp, who he is. Um because it's it's weird that a grown man at this point couldn't be coming out and handling his own business with some of this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and he kept practicing. So it was reported by Keith Pompey, uh, Sixers beat reporter, that he did work out with the team yesterday, even after his agent said he wouldn't practice or play until he sees that specialist. He participated in light shooting with teammates. According to league sources, the, practice, uh, the Sixers didn't have a formal practice. It's just a complete mess. Elton Brand told reporters uh, their GM said there was no indication Fultz was dealing with an injury. <laughs> Brand made sure to show his full support for Fultz, but was clearly surprised by his development. Even the, uh, Brett, uh, Brown, the head coach, said it was the first real red flag type news. This is totally alarming if you're the Sixers. I mean, we're, it's only, what is this, year two? And we're already talking about a potential bust because it's just not going to go away. It's not going to resolve itself. Well, last year, I mean, forgive me, but last, it was a similar, like last year it was kind of the same thing. Like, the Sixers weren't a whole lot. No, but the Sixers videos that were going out. Yeah, but the Sixers weren't all the way sure that there was really an injury. Like he was saying that it was a shoulder. There were people. There were rumblings that it was mental. And now to have it kind of resurface again this year, where you're blindsided as an organization, you can't get up in front of the press and and be blindsided if you're Elton Brand and 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 um what's his name Brett Brown. Yeah, you had no inclination that any of this was taking place. Like again. And they, you know, I mean, you know this. You've been through the drills. You've done as the Cavs. You've been a part of an evaluation process. I don't understand how this goes unnoticed 
Like as a, as from the medical standpoint, I, I, like, cause you, they, they put you through well, the ringer. Again, unless it happened after they drafted him, which maybe it did. That you're making, we're making the assumption that there is an actual injury. And right. I, I need to take a step back because initially I'm going to stick with, I don't believe there to be an actual injury. Right. I think this is something mental. I think they're rolling it up in the injury because he needs a break. I don't know if it's the pressure of an NBA season or the pressure of being a number one pick or, you know, maybe there's some real, and I don't mean to make light of it, some real mental health issues there. I don't know, but this is not a physical thing. I, I've, I shot enough balls. I've seen people with injuries shoot. I shot with a torn, like, yeah. you know, like it doesn't look like that. Those are mental hiccups. And so, yeah, they're not, they're not blindsided because it's not real. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they've, they're, they're probably experiencing a little buyer's remorse. I know it's early, but I'm telling you in college football, I think there might be a little bit buyer's remorse from Jeff Long, the athletic director of Kansas. Oh, you see the last miles I, press conference when he opened it up. It was now less is a peculiar dude, right? Like he? He, yeah. Cause I've interviewed him in person, sat here like this. And when you watch, when you hear him talk, you're like, where's he going? I don't know where he's going with this. And that's always like part of his charm, right? Like he's right. eating the grass before, like he does have this charm. But when you're at your introductory press conference, which he was at Kansas and multiple times he loses his train of thought. And just, it doesn't sound very good. Yeah. It doesn't, like you want to win the press conference, especially your sure. opening press conference. Sure. A lot of people are already second guessing this hire saying, man, this might have been a mistake for Kansas to go this direction. He's 65 years old. He's been out of the game for a little bit. It's one of the hardest jobs yeah, in college football. I just, I, I looked at it and it was like, ooh, and I like Les. Like he's a really nice guy. I just don't know if it's a good fit. Um, I want to be careful about like, Casting judgment down on people losing their train of thought because I do it daily on here, right? Sure. So it's a hard thing sometimes to get up in of front course. of the mic, know where you want to go, get midway through your stuff, and sometimes not everybody can do that all the time. Right. Um. Having having said that, um, sometimes you can be really bad in a press conference or just not good, but you can be really good at your job. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. yes, ideally you would want to win the press conference and have everybody at Kansas say, "Oh my God, we've got we got a future now." But you know, they have to hope that he's not great in front of a mic. But he can really get it done behind his desk and on the field. All right. Coca has a video, supposedly. This is a surprise video. I'm assuming. Push him up. 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 Push than anybody in the NFL. What were those Tomahawks for on your, on your helmet? Uh, they had them for all kind of reasons. We won that game. Yeah. Jeez, that's messed up. The Tomahawks, you get them for touchdown passes. You yeah. get them for academics. Oh, I had, word? Yeah, A's, you got one. Nice. I had a lot of them. Nice. But you also knew the equipment managers. You go, hey, and he's just like, let me get <laughs> <laughs>